2 Corinthians 6, we'll read verse 14 through the very start of verse 16. It says, uh, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? We could keep on reading, but we'll stop there for now. And uh, the message I want to bring to you this morning is very simple. Two words, no compromise. Somebody say, no compromise. You know, uh, the, the idea of truth, uh, you, you can bend on a few things, but you can't bend on truth. You know, uh, uh, whether you want a, a red car and your wife wants a, a blue car, you can bend on issues like that. As a matter of fact, I highly recommend bending on issues like that. <laughs> Don't be hard-headed over silly little things in life. Uh, our founding pastor, Pastor Sam, used to have this little saying that he'd use once in a while, and, and he'd say, you only put your championship on the line if it's really worth putting it on the line for, which means if it's really not that big of a deal, you don't put up a fight over things that aren't a big deal. If you're going to put up a fight, you put up a fight over something that really matters. But truth really matters, and truth is worth fighting for. And truth is worth digging your heels in the ground and saying, no, compromise. So there's no meeting halfway when it comes to truth. As a matter of fact, you can't have a, a little bit of Bible mixed in with a, a little bit of man's reasoning. You can't have a, 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 a little bit of uh, Bible mixed in with what's called uh, enlightened thinking because in the past 20 to 30 years, people have come up with thoughts that they consider to be enlightened. And let me tell you that uh, man's enlightenment has just proven more and more how lost he is without God. Because the idea of these enlightened ideas, quote unquote, that have come out in the last 20, 30 years have sent us in a tailspin of destruction worse than we already were in. Because man's ideas don't cut it. And you cannot mix a little bit of truth and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. God's word, God's ways have to be 100% pure, no additives, no preservatives. No high fructose corn syrup. Hey, <laughs> All natural, 100% pure. See, you can't have a little, a little gospel and a little Oprah. You got to have all gospel. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, well, one thing to remember, the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and Galatians 5, 9 says the same thing. It says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, the Good News Translation puts it like this, that, that a little bit of yeast causes the, the whole batch of dough to rise. See, uh, once you put yeast in the dough, you, you can't 
cut the bread in half and say, well, this is the side without the yeast and, and, and this is the side without it, with it, without it. No, because it, it has an impact on that whole lump of dough. As a matter of fact, you're making scrambled eggs for yourself and you say, oh, I got two just perfect eggs. I mean, right from the farm, as perfect as can be. But that third egg you put in there is a rotten one. And then you mix them all together, you got yourself some bad eggs. You might have said, but I had two good ones in there. Two out of three is the majority. But you know, when you mix things together that shouldn't be mixed together, rather than having something that's healthy, you've got something that's poisonous. So when it comes to God's word, when it comes to God's ways, we need to have a little bit of hardcore about us. There's plenty of room to be flexible regarding certain things in life, like I said earlier. But when it comes to truth, you just need to dig your heels in the ground and say, hey, it's God's way or the highway. But that can't just be the, the message you preach to other people around you. That needs to be the message that you preach to the one you look at in the mirror every morning. And we need clear lines between right and wrong and to be aware of letting little things in that can compromise us. Song of Solomon brings out that little foxes spoil the vine. Well, you, you might think, well, I'm doing pretty good because I, I took care of all my big foxes. I, I shot the big foxes. But those little foxes can do just as much damage in your life as the big ones. And, and that's why I so appreciate the approach that Jesus took. If you look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the, the approach Jesus took when he was dealing with the churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor, first of all, he commended them on what they were doing right. Pointed out the things they were doing right, gave them a thumbs up and pat on the shoulder. And then after that, he said, but there's a few things you need to fix. And Jesus very clearly and directly pointed out to them the things that they needed to fix. And I tell you, I just love clear lines between right and wrong, clear direction from the word of God. As a matter of fact, a great quote that I found from William Penn goes like this. It says that right is right even if everyone is against it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is for it. Oh, come on, y'all. Let this settle down in your ears. Right is right, even when everyone is against it. And wrong is wrong, even when everyone is for it. As a matter of fact, uh, I got to thinking of a good old gospel song that uh, we, we do in church time to time when I was growing up. It said, Lord, I'm running, trying to reach 100. 99 and a half won't do. And 99 and a half won't do. And you might think, well, how can I ever get to 100? Well, the great thing is that your Redeemer has already redeemed you 100%. So you don't have to try to get yourself to a certain point because he's got you there. What you need to do is you need to cooperate with him. 
you need to live life according to his ability and not your own because if you try to do it and on your own ability, neither thee nor me would ever hit the hundred. But we're not by ourselves. We're not doing this by ourselves. There's a helper inside of us. We're not doing this by ourselves because let me tell you, there's God's law has been written in our hearts, and besides that, the writer of the law moved in there too. So glory to God. Can a, can a hundred be possible? Yes, it can be. On our own strength, you got to be kidding me. But with our cooperating with Him, absolutely, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Let's go ahead and put uh, Psalm 1, verse 1 up on the screen. I want you to check this out. Psalm 1, verse 1. said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, blessed is the person who doesn't compromise. Because if you start walking in the counsel of ungodly people, what you're doing is you're leaving the counsel of the word of God and you're going for counsel that might tickle your ears and tickle your fancy a little bit. Might be easier and more convenient to do, but it's not counsel that comes from the word of God. Now, now the one thing that's interesting here is that the downward progression. First of all, this man is walking in something. Then he's standing in something, and then he's sitting in something. You know, it's, it's kind of like if, if, if somebody told me, stay away from this area here. Just stay to this side. Stay away from this area over here. But first, I started walking this way. And then, just started standing around, and then took a, a further step. I went and sat down, because sitting down means I'm going to be here for a while. But let me, let, let me give you a good, important life lesson here. If you don't want to sit down where you shouldn't be sitting, don't stand there. If you don't want to stand there, don't walk there. And if you don't want to walk there, just don't go there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Divine common sense for us to walk by. Amen. Someone say, don't go there. But I want to talk to you specifically about uh, four areas where we cannot afford to compromise, especially in this day in which we live. We cannot afford compromise. We cannot afford mixture. When uh, Marianne Brown was here, I don't believe it was something that she said publicly. She may have, but I know in private conversation, uh, she, she used that term uh, several times. Mixture. The idea of something that's right and something that's true, having a little bit of something mixed in with it that's not right and not true, and, and that's not true. And, and, and you know, it's interesting. Someone once put it like this. If you want to poison a dog, you, you, don't, you won't likely have success if you put a bowl of poison down by his doghouse. But if you inject some poison into a juicy steak, then you may have a better chance of poisoning the dog. And I never forgot that because, you see, the, the devil 
has realized that. The, the devil has realized that if he just comes out with something that is so blatantly off the wall, then uh, we, we may be quicker to recognize it. But if he can put some error mixed in with something that's truth, then he can try to deceive us. And more than ever before, the last days in which we live are times where we need to be aware that we are not deceived. Jesus made that real clear. And so several areas that I want to hit today regarding uh, uh, where we cannot afford to compromise. And one of those areas is that we cannot compromise when it comes to sound doctrine. Doctrine is another word for teaching. We cannot compromise when it comes to the sound teaching of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, uh, why don't you open your Bible to 2 Timothy 4? We need to realize that if the Bible talks a lot about something, and if there's a lot of warnings in the Bible about something, those warnings are in there for a very specific reason. As a matter of fact, I once heard some good wisdom. You focus in on, a, uh, if, if the Bible says a lot about something, you focus in on that a lot. If the Bible says a little bit about something, you can focus in on that a little bit. But when there's constant warnings about certain things, we should especially focus in on those things that we're being warned about over and over again in Scripture. Can I hear an Amen. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4. Let's start reading with uh, verse 2. These are some of Paul's last words. Uh, this is the, the last chapter that he wrote, the, the, of the last letter before he was martyred for preaching the gospel. He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, the idea of Keeping up teachers that'll itch your ears has to do with finding people to listen to that'll just tell you what you want to hear, as opposed to tell you what you need to hear. And the scripture warns about those that would not be able to endure sound doctrine. But more than ever before, we need to hold on and hold fast and be sticklers about the foundational blocks of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and the epistles and all the word of God. Can I hear an amen? amen. More than ever before, we need to hold on to the, uh, the authority and the infallibility of the word of God. You would be amazed at how attacked 
the accuracy of Scripture is. You've got nobody out there that, that is, uh, has a crusade to, to fight about the authenticity of Plato or Aristotle. Yet there's so many people that are out there to, to fight against and argue against the reliability of Scripture. And you know the funny thing is that there are thousands more manuscripts of the Greek New Testament than there is Plato and Aristotle. But people can conveniently look over something like that. Why? Because they have an agenda, because they have a crusade. They want to fight against and put doubts in the heart of the people of planet Earth against the authority and the reliability of this book. You need to know that this book is right. You need to know that for yourself. Because when shaking comes and someone tries to shake you and shake your grip off the word, shake your thinking and your walking and your living off the word, you need to have enough of a foundation where when that wind blows, you say, no, I ain't budging. I know this thing's right. I know this thing's true. We ain't going anywhere else. Where else are we going to go? He's got the words of everlasting life, like Peter said. So we need to hold on more than ever to the authority and the infallibility of the scripture. And we need to be deeply rooted also in who Jesus is. Pastor John has just started a series. Uh, I, I'm not sure the exact title he's put to it, but the basic essence is, who do you say that I am? As though Jesus were asking us the question, who do you say that I am? And we need to be very, very firm in our belief and our knowing of who Jesus is. We need to be firm in the fact that Jesus really lived, that he really died, that he really was physically raised from the dead. And I do mean physically. So some guys that thought they were smart on the radio identified themselves as Christians, but yet could not bring themselves to believe that Jesus actually physically was raised from the dead. You're not a Christian if you don't believe that. As a matter of fact, if that didn't happen, we are wasting our time. Paul said it very well that if Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is vain and you are yet in your sins. And to quote our founding pastor one time, if Christ is not raised from the dead, you can go eat, drink, and instead of be merry, he said chase merry. <laughs> but he is risen. So we have every reason to, to live according to his words because his words are absolute truth and he's alive forevermore and he's seated at the right hand of the father and he's coming again with power and great glory. What you believe about Jesus is important. Can I mess with you? I'm going to tell you straight out. 
Jesus didn't have no kind of fling with Mary Magdalene. As a matter of fact, when Dan Brown wasn't looking, somebody put something in his coffee, I think. Because there, there ain't, no, ain't no descendants of Jesus living in France somewhere. So you can just totally forget that. That's just an absolute pipe dream. Absolutely bogus. It is not factual. The, the things people say about Jesus is just absolutely, uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing. There, there are people that, that try to portray Jesus as being in a homosexual relationship with his disciples. Jesus wasn't interested in none of those hairy dudes, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Jesus wasn't down here to have a relationship. Jesus was here for a mission, a mission that came from his father. He fulfilled that mission. And once he fulfilled that mission, he went up and sat down. He is God. He is the second person of the Godhead. <coughs> and he is not a way. He is not one way. Of many ways. No, he is the way that we can get to God. And I know that's narrow. But you know, the, one of the best illustrations I ever heard is no one ever been accused of being narrow-minded when there's a building on fire and, and the firemen holler out, there's only one door you can use to get out the burning building. Who, who ever stopped right there in the middle of the fire and told the firemen he was narrow-minded? <laughs> there is one way to God. And Jesus is it. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, that burns in me more than ever. I want to say that with more spunk and more fire than I've ever said it before. No compromise, somebody. Say it with me. No compromise. Hallelujah. Another area where we cannot afford to compromise is when it comes to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and put Ephesians 4.30 up on the screen. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says this. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve him. I'll tell you, one thing that is so important with the leading of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives and in the life of a corporate church we need to pull in the same direction that he's pulling and never be found pulling against him. If he's going a certain way, we need to go there with him. Because I tell you, if he's going one way and we're going another way, we are certainly putting ourselves in a position to grieve him. You know, we can't afford to, to, to be ashamed of the things of the Spirit, the demonstrations of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, we, we live in a day where uh, so some churches have caught on to uh, something that, uh, well, we, we 
we want to be more um, open-minded towards our guests and our visitors. And, and, and so th there's things that churches used to do that they don't do anymore because they wanted to be more friendly to their guests. So, so we need to cut it down on our, our, our raising our hands and our outward demonstrations of our praise and worship. The, 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 they have uh, said what, we, we need to cut it down, our emphasis on speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Holy Ghost. But you don't compromise. I tell you, there ain't no visitor coming to your church in the whole wide world that's worth compromising over. I mean, who would you rather have? Well, I got Joe Blow in my church. Well, whoop-de-doo, you got Joe Blow, but the Holy Ghost left. I prefer having the Holy Ghost. Someone say no compromise. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Thank you, Lord. Let's start reading with verse 16. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. How can you quench the spirit? I think one, one of the greatest ways we can quench the spirit is when we know that he's pulling us in a certain direction, inspiring us to do a certain thing, moving us to, to go in a certain direction. And we don't do it. As a matter of fact, what, what, what can happen in a situation like that is that you can actually desensitize yourself to his voice. Because let's say that, that he's talking to you about something and really prompting you to do something and you talk to yourself out of it, talk to yourself out of the fact that it was him. And next time you're in a fix and you really need to hear from heaven and you go to pray you're hearing something, but wait a minute, now you're confused inside. Is it God? Is it me? Is it the devil? I don't know. And one of the reasons why is because that same voice that the last time you convinced yourself you didn't need to listen to is speaking to you again. But, but you're, you're, you've desensitized yourself by not obeying then, so it's harder to distinguish because you fooled yourself into saying that, well, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. And disobedience is 
a problem with him. So we, we, sometimes we've used that God knows my heart as something to cover up the fact that we didn't do what we knew we should have done. But the way to be keen and sensitive and the best place to hear from him and hear from him clearly every time, if, if, you, if you obey, if you hear and obey, hear and obey, you stay sharp. But if, if you hear and try to talk yourself out of it and don't obey, what happens? You get dull. And you can't afford to be dull. And these days we live in, you cannot afford to be dull. We can only afford to be very sharp and quick to hear him, know it's him, and take it and run with it. Whatever those instructions are. Can I hear an amen on that? Another thing that we cannot afford to compromise on is when it comes to holy living. As a matter of fact, the very next verse, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, we read up to 21. 22 in the King James Bible reads like this. It says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Which means, even if it just don't look right, stay away from it. So when it comes to racing the standard of holiness and traveling the highway of holiness, no compromise. Go ahead and put Hebrews 12 up on the screen. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, holiness is God's standard. So if you try to compromise on holiness, you're trying to lessen his standard. You can't lessen that standard. Of course, you know to begin with, you can't meet the standard by yourself, that's why we all needed a Savior. And the Savior has come and has saved us. The Helper has come and he's here to help us. But we cannot afford to be ever trying to lower the standard that God has set, but rather knowing that he who is living inside of us is there to help us live according to the standard but that the standard does not change, cannot change. Let God be true and every man a liar. As for God, his way is perfect. You can't improve on perfect. You're in 1 Thessalonians. Turn back to chapter 4 and look at verse 7. says, God has not called us to uncleanness, but in holiness. So if you ever wonder, what am I called to do? Well, one of the first things you can figure out is you're called to holiness. Called to live a holy life. And you got the Holy One living inside you, having imparted his very own nature to you. So that you obtaining that is within reach. Glory to God. You know, it's interesting because you look at it like this, that if God set a standard that we had absolutely no way of being able to get to, we'd be sunk. But but the thing that, that I, I find throughout the years that, that I, I find myself hitting it over and over and over again is just this, that he has given us everything that we need to do what he has asked us to do. 
he said, be holy as I am holy, we can be holy. We've got what we need in order to do that. If God just said, this is what you got to do, have fun trying to figure out how to do it, we'd be sunk, we'd be hurting. But that's not the case. We've got the provision to do everything he's called us to do, to be everything he's called us to be. We're not without the goods. We got the goods. And we got those goods because of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. When it comes to holy living, if, if I could emphasize two things to you, it would be this, holy living in your relationships. Maintaining God's standard in your relationships. I'll tell you one thing's for certain. We read right in the very beginning, the first verse we read is that uh, believers should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's pretty simple. As a matter of fact, let me be graphic. Those of you that are entertaining getting hooked up with somebody or are currently hooked up with somebody who's not a believer, let me put it to you like this. I'm going to be graphic. You are spiritually alive. That person, if not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if not saved, they are spiritually dead. Now, if you translate that over into the physical world, and we see you wanting to go snuggle up on the couch and watch TV with a stinking corpse, <laughs> we think there's something wrong with you. You ought not want to be snuggling up with the dead. You should be interested in bringing life to the dead. Bringing the gospel so that those people who are spiritually dead can come on over to the kingdom of his dear son and enjoy life, eternal life in him. But that is huge. You can't afford to be in relationships that aren't right. As a matter of fact, it's interesting how, how people look at so many other things that they want in a man or want in a woman as being important and how spiritual things often fall so short on the list. I mean, they're the way down in 10th place somewhere when it should be top of the list. And, and because you know what? When y'all were in a fix, his cuteness or her eyes ain't doing a thing for your fix. But one thing that could do something for the fix, if you had two Bible-believing people who could join their faith together and agree in prayer and get something done. His charm and his suave ain't doing nothing for you when you're in a fix. It's amazing how our thinking is so wrong. So step that thinking up. And I'll tell you, you out there today, and you know you're involved in a relationship that you ought not to be in because you see what the word says. And you say, yeah, Lord, but uh, I ain't finding nobody over at the church. We'll look a little harder. 
Because the last thing you want is someone from outside the church and outside the kingdom of God. That is disastrous. Another thing, no compromise when it comes to the area of your finances. You might think Uncle Sam's taken from you. But it's not right for you to take from Uncle Sam. You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And you give to God what belongs to God. So as believers, we need to have our, our tithing and our taxes in order. We need to do things in the right way. There's one brother in the church who has just an abundance of opportunities to earn money under the table. And he doesn't do it. And jobs that he does take, he keeps records of how much he makes, sets aside a certain amount of that, and then when it comes time to do the taxes, he goes ahead and pays the money that he owes on those jobs that he did, those side jobs that he did, that, that did not have taxes automatically withdrawn from it. That's called integrity. That's called no compromise. That's the right way to do it. You might think, well, but you know, Pastor Ray, times are hard. Times are hard. So you think that doing it the wrong way is the cure to your hard time? No, doing it the wrong way is not the cure. Doing it the right way is the cure. You want to tell me God don't know what he's talking about and that you do? Let's see. God or you? I don't need to be Einstein to figure that out. Come on now. So let, let's go ahead and do things right. No compromise when it comes to God's standard of holiness. And no compromise when it comes to our faith. Oh, I tell you, I just get fired up thinking about Joshua and Caleb when they went in to spy out the promised land. Uh, they were two out of 12 spies that went in there. 10 spies. Even though God said the same thing to all of them, 10 came back and said, we can't do it. But two came back, Joshua and Caleb came back and said, yes, we can. And, and, and the words that God spoke regarding Caleb were, were amazing words. God called him a man of a different spirit and one who has followed him fully. And I tell you, when you are a person of no compromise, when it comes to your faith, God will say the same of you. You're a person of a different spirit. You're not the average going along with the crowd. No, you stepped above what the rest of the crowd's doing. And God will identify you as well as one who followed him fully. Why don't you go to the book of Daniel? I'll give you a little bit of the setting for where we're going. Daniel 3, there were three Hebrew young men who were uh, actually working there 
and, and had, had a certain charge over the affairs of the province of Babylon. This was a time when uh, the Jews were actually in captivity in Babylon. The king there was King Nebuchadnezzar. And he had set up this big old idol. And, and, and the, the rule was this. When you hear the music get going, that's your cue to bow down before this idol. And then along the way, word got back to the king that three of these guys working for him weren't bowing when the music started. They weren't bowing. And so in uh, verse 16 of Daniel 3, we, we see their conversation with the king. It said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if what is the case, that means if you throw us in, our God uh, to the fiery furnace, because let me just set that up. That was the, the penalty for not bowing. Anybody who doesn't bow, they're getting cooked. They're getting thrown into the fiery furnace. So keep that in mind. So they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if you throw us in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, if you don't throw us in the furnace, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Someone say, no compromise. Now let's go down. So, so the king gets so upset. I mean, he fires this thing up seven times hotter than it already was to the point where the guys that are putting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, they die from the heat. They die from the blast. Now, what happened to these three guys? Check it out. Verse uh, 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselors, did we not cast three bound men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men Loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Go to verse 27. And the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word. The King James there says they changed the king's word. And, and uh, it goes on to say, and yielded their bodies and that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. 
And look at verse 30. It says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. These guys did not compromise their faith. And as a result of them not compromising and not denying their Lord, what happened? It resulted in God's presence and God's power to liberate shown right up there in the midst of the fire. Let me put it to you like this. Refusing to compromise is how three bound men can somehow become four loose men. You look at the word and he said, I put three men bound into the fire. Now I see four men loose. So you know that when you don't compromise, the fourth man's with you. <laughs> yeah, now. And you also know this, that he's not just with you, but he's with you to break the chains off that would have you bow. No compromise. What else? Uh, the New King James says that, uh, that, that God sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and have frustrated the king's word. The old King James says that, that uh, the king's word was changed. And I'll tell you, when you honor God's word and honor God's word first and put God's word first, put God's commands first, I'll tell you what will happen is that God will honor his word and his word won't change, but he'll change around the words that were spoken against you. Hallelujah. Said if somebody's word's going to change, it'll be the king's because God said it ain't going to be mine. My covenant I won't break. Neither will I alter the thing that's gone forth out of my mouth. Hallelujah. And I can tell you this with certainty. If you're a person of no compromise, and if you keep the smell of no compromise in your life, or should I say it like this, you keep the smell of compromise off of you, then God in turn will keep the smell of the fire and smoke off of you. You keep the compromise off you, God will keep the fire and the smoke off you. Hallelujah. Let's look at one other uh, example here in Daniel 6. Now, this is Daniel, the, 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 the great, uh, one of the greatest uh, events in the Bible. There, there, there's so many of them, but I, I, I tell you, there, there's just something about Daniel being in that lion's den. Ain't no Sunday school story. Let me tell you, this happened. Somebody say, this happened. This is a real event. See, see what, what happened. So, some hot shots that didn't like Daniel so much tried to set him up. So they got the king talked into this stupid thing that nobody can make a request of anybody except you, O king, for the next 30 days. And according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, it cannot alter. Because they knew that Daniel was going to keep on praying, keep on doing what he'd always been doing. So what, what happened? 
Daniel heard about it. As a matter of fact, look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that the law went into effect, look what he did. He went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. When pressure comes on you to change and to do something different and to lighten up a little bit, how do you respond? I can tell you what this prophet of God did. He said, I'm going to keep on doing the same thing now I've been doing. And I'm going to do it right in front of God and everybody with my windows open facing Jerusalem. I'm going to pray like I always prayed three times a day. <coughs> well, the king found out about that. The king looked to try to find a way where he wouldn't have to give Daniel the penalty that was coming. But the, there, was, there was no loophole in the law, no way out of it. So Daniel was cast into the den of lions. Go down to verse 20. And it says, And when he came to the den, that being the king, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said, he'd been hanging out with the lions all night, but he still said something. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him. Why? Because he believed in his God. No compromise when it comes to your faith. You might have uh, a big decision to make. You, you may have some possible consequences if you do the right thing. But let me tell you, there's a whole lot greater consequences if you don't. Who do you fear more? You fear some man who's putting himself across as a hot shot, putting himself across as the one who has the, the sway and the control of what's going to happen with your fate? Or do you trust Almighty God and say, I know if I honor God, no matter what, I'll be on top, the last man standing if I obey God and don't compromise. Now, what happened? Look at this. Verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. No compromise. In one case, led to promotion. The, the, the last part of Daniel 3 says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted. No compromise in Daniel 6. What happened? He prospered. But I give you a serious word this morning. That no compromise can also lead to persecution. Persecution. 
something we don't talk a lot about. But it's a very real thing, and it's a very real thing in this world in which we live today. I saw a stat. It's an amazing stat. Think about this. And uh, I had heard this before, and I uh, found it somewhere on the Internet last week. Uh, one of the, uh, 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 the ministries that's really devoted to uh, keeping track of Christian persecution in the world. It is believed that more people were killed for their faith in Christ Jesus in the 20th century than all of church history combined. Just because it's not happening in our backyard doesn't mean it's not happening. So I tell you, no compromise. What happens? Well, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, promotion's coming. No compromise. Like Daniel, you'll prosper. No compromise. Also be aware, there's persecution out there. And the, the Bible has some very interesting things to say about it. As a matter of fact, Jesus told you how to respond when all men are speaking evil of you falsely for his name's sake. He said, go ahead and spin and leap for joy and have a party. Great is your reward in heaven. It is worth it to take a stand on what is right and what is true and say, no compromise. It is worth it. I love Revelation 12, 11, that said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives even to death. Let me throw out a scenario to you. What if you were confronted with a choice that these guys had to make? Either to continue to honor God or face some serious consequences that will either take your life out, affect your family, result in persecution, what would you do? Let me say this to you. The time to make the determination what you do is not when the gun's pointing at your head. The time to make the determination what you're going to do is right now. And to say, no compromise. I believe it was Polycarp, who was one of the early church fathers. And uh, he was uh, an older man at the time, but facing death because of his belief in the Lord Jesus. And he said something along these lines when he was asked one last time if he was going to recant his faith, if he was going to take it back. He said, 80 some odd years I've served him and he's never done me any wrong. How can I turn on him now? That's the basic essence of what he said. How can I turn on him now? There was another story, uh, another uh, early church father who, who went and 
wanted somebody to the Lord. And the person he wanted to the Lord was a silversmith who made his living by making idols. And he quickly realized that, that his way of earning the bread was not compatible with his new life. So he said to the one that brought him to the Lord, he said, what am I going to do to take care of my family? How shall we live? But the man who wanted him to Jesus made this statement. He said, must you live? Mm. And I heard that and it made me think of something. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No compromise. Hallelujah.